Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening we have a really interesting program set for you, and it's where we have a panel of speakers who are going to tell you how to deal with uncomfortable situations. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce Ms. Donna Pomerantz, who's the second vice president of CCLVI. Uh, welcome, Donna. Thank you very much. And I'm then, glad to be here. Oh, yes. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this one. And uh, next we have Annette Carter, who's the webmaster for CCLVI. Hey, Annette. How are you? I'm good, Dr. Bill. Good to be here. Great. Well, thank you for being here. And uh, last but definitely not least, we have uh, Lindsay Tilden, who's the secretary of CCLVI. Welcome, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bill. Glad to be here. Great. You know, it's it's really interesting, huh? We have a lot of very uh, powerful women who are going to teach us how to deal with many of these difficult types of situations. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and just turn it on over to Donna, and we'll be having her speak uh, with the other panel members for about 50 minutes, and then we'll open up to questions. All of this is being recorded by Ayers L.A. and Mr. Dick Burden, so if you want to listen to this later, you can listen to it at the CCLVI website or at Ayers L.A. at www.airsla.org. Lastly, it will also be aired. We don't know the specific date, but ACB Radio will also be airing this on a Friday evening. So, Donna, why don't you take it over from here? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very, very glad to be here, and I would like to welcome um, everyone who is on the call. It sounds like we have a great group today, and um, I'd like to kind of start us out having some discussions um, surrounding situations um, when uh, one is dealing with family. Uh, as as people who have low vision, we have, you know, varying degrees of vision. And I know for myself, at times, um, what I'm able to see can change from day to day and even from time of day to time of day, depending on um, a number of factors. And um, so... I'd like to open it up to ask either um, Lindsay or Annette, whichever one of you would would like to speak first, um, talking about if you have any situation that you wish to share, kind of surrounding family, maybe a little bit about the scenario and maybe a little bit about the scenario and how you... Um, dealt with it immediately in the situation. So maybe we could start with Lindsay. Sure. Um, well, I've been very fortunate, very blessed with my family um, who has been, who have been very understanding, very interested in learning and um, gaining knowledge and experience working with people with low vision. I've been low vision my entire life. So um, my parents, you know, dove into kind of figuring out uh, what my needs were and what was best for me, and all the way 
growing up and through school and everything, um, family members who were very involved and very interested in learning what was best for me. And so I um, haven't really encountered any um, difficult situations with at least my immediate family. I know I did have one experience growing up when I was about 12 my mom's cousin was in uh, town with her family. And they were all sitting down at the dinner table and, and were eating late. They just got in and uh, and I walked through the room, and the mom's cousin said, oh, listen, you're visually impaired. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Which was very awkward to suddenly have eight people staring at me, who I only sort of knew. They were from out of state. Um, and my mother told me later that she was ready to dive in and, and save me. But I, you know, very briefly just explained my vision and that I got along just fine, and then politely excuse myself, but, um, and since then, the, that family has been very nice and understanding, but overall, I've, I've had a really good experience, and I think that's a, lar- a large part um, just due to my family's, you know, willingness and interest in in learning about my vision and specifically my needs and, and um, knowing what was, that has been my experience with family. Okay. Um might I ask, um, when that um, question was posed to you in that way, um, do you have any member uh, memory of immediately, you know, how you felt in the situation when that question was coming at you? I I felt very awkward. I felt very distant from the rest of them. That I was being singled out as being different. And very uncomfortable in the way that she asked. It wasn't that we were sitting and talking and, and she mentioned it. It was very much like I was being called out and asked to give a presentation. So I felt almost unprepared to explain and, and um, very, very different from everyone else, where usually I, uh, in, in my family I felt very included and um, with everyone else. So it, it almost seems... Um you know, myself listening to the situation from the outside, to me it seems that, you know, personally you did have the discomfort of being singled out in the situation, but would would it be correct in me saying that uh, because of the support that your family had always given to you, you had, in a sense, the strength to to kind of, deal with it head on and then move on from that. I would definitely say that. I knew that, you know, my mom was in the room and I knew that she was watching and I knew that if she could tell I was overly uncomfortable or if there were more questions, if if things got bad, she was ready to swoop in and, and save me and push the conversation somewhere else or to um, to tell the cousin that she was out of line. So. Okay, okay. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Supportive environments are, are definitely, um, you know, are definitely a factor. Um, and, and it sounds like that was very helpful to you in that situation. So, so that's a good thing. Um, Annette, is there anything that you may wish to share in, in relation to um, a situation possibly dealing in the family environment, whether it be immediate family or, you know, more distant family? 
Well, first, what I'd like to do is clarify in case uh, the audience got the impression that we're teaching what to do in these situations. What we're doing, uh, we, the, the panel, Lindsay, Donna, and myself, is giving examples of how we may have dealt with some things, and then later we'll uh, have uh, you, the, the present audience, uh, give feedback or questions or your own uh, experiences. So that's what we're doing. I'm not actually teaching. Uh, as far as family, I currently live in a state where I don't have family. They're on the other side of the country. And it's a little unique where um, my vision has changed over the years. I was born blind but then had uh, somewhat correction from age 4 uh, to age 10 were very thick glasses. And they weren't good enough for me. Then I got contacts at age 10. And I still couldn't see very clear, but uh, I moved at, in, the, in the world like a sighted person. I just couldn't see everything else that my brothers and sisters could see. So they didn't remember or didn't really know how blind I really am because in my own home, I got around pretty good even with my contacts out because I knew where things were. And then it jumped ahead after I left home till much later, I think I was in my 40s, when I saw my family again. But by that time, I didn't have any correction, so I was blind again. So they weren't used to me as a blind person, so it was unique. And so with many years gone, now they're seeing me again as an adult that's blind. Uh, so it's it's new to them. And... Um, the situations only would get uncomfortable if we're outside of the house. If we're visiting in my parents' home or they're visiting in my home, it's not too bad. They pretty much picked up on let me know when you're talking to me and not somebody else. Um, but if we're at a wedding that like and a funeral, those scenarios have happened. And if they walk away from me, it's just something new to remember. Um, let me know you've walked away, those kinds of things. Um, that's the only thing I could think of with family currently. Okay, so your, um, the perspective that you're sharing is um, um, kind of in a global sense more than a specific situation. Um, you know, is what you're sharing some some hints, um, and and I I believe that those hints that you have shared um, are definitely um, hints that carry over into a number of different situations, whether it's social with friends, um, possibly in the work environment, and 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 so. On that note, what what I'd like to um, move on to is um, how about within the work environment? Um, are there any um, scenarios that you would wish to share in relation to the work environment, maybe an uncomfortable situation? And again, the key word that I'm using is sharing, which is, um, to reiterate what 
you know, Annette stated, which is um, we're not teaching, we're sharing as um, in, the, in the situation as peer-to-peer. These are things that we have dealt with um, personally as people who have low vision and who have varying degrees of, of vision impairment. So I'm wondering if, um, Lindsay, you would wish to share um, a situation that you have dealt with in the work environment as a person with low vision and maybe some of the ways or strategies that you used to deal with it or to even educate others if that was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I work in an elementary school. I'm a speech pathologist, and um, this is just my second year uh, working. Um, but in my during graduate school, when I did my student teaching, uh, I was in a school, and I met the speech pathologist I was studying under there and working with. And then I met a couple of the office staff and a couple of the teachers the first day and remembered their names. Um, but, you know, one of the really difficult things starting any sort of new environment, a new workplace or um, going to a new church or some sort of a new a social scene is you meet a lot of people in one day and they all remember you because you stand out. I have a guide dog, so I'm easy to remember. Um, but I don't have the facial recognition to remember, oh, that was Susie and that was John and then, and things. And so it became very difficult where people would say hi to me and I would just do the hi back and no name. And I spent kind of the entire semester of school I was there not really knowing people's names but feeling too awkward to ask that it had been too much time. So it became really difficult when I would be trying to find a certain teacher to ask about a student, and I would have a very difficult time finding that teacher because I didn't know what they looked like and I hadn't learned their voice. And so it was it was very uncomfortable. It made finishing the semester and my time there almost a relief because I knew I could leave and kind of start over the next time. So... I did learn from that, and when I started the, um, working at my school that I'm at now last year, I went in the first day of school, and it was a whole meeting. I introduced myself, um, and then I mentioned, um, I told them about my dog and mentioned that I had some vision but didn't have enough for facial recognition, so it would take me a while to learn their names because I would be learning their voices, and asked if they thought of it when they said hi to me walking around campus to say, hi, Lindsay, it's Susie, uh, and to add their name because that would help me. And it it really had, and it took that pressure off of being like, oh, my gosh, I have to come up with their name or they're going to think that I'm rude or didn't pay attention because everyone knew that it wasn't personal. It wasn't that I'd just chosen to forget who they were. I just couldn't recognize their face, and that's... Um, Really, in general, that kind of openness and just letting letting the staff know what what helps me for things um, has made my made me feel a lot more comfortable, a lot more secure at my school. Not having that awkward feeling of oh, they think I'm that person who doesn't remember names and can't figure out who's in the room and 
who kind of just looks a little awkward anytime I'm walking around. Okay, so um, in in my listening to your situation, it it sounds like um, we have a bit of a similar situation where um, you know I also experienced that within the work environment when I was working on um, a college campus. Um, you know, I I knew the environment, and I used uh, a white cane um, as my mobility tool. And in walking around the campus and dealing with different division deans and, you know, department heads, et cetera, um, you know, it was very interesting because as as I was able to get to know voices, um, you know, I would greet people by name when I knew who they were. But I had that similar situation as well. Um, I continued as, um, you know, as, as I always did in relation to recognizing the voices. Um, however, it was very interesting to me because I was... I was taught, um, you know, a very valuable thing by one of my coworkers who um, decided to share with me. Um, I went in and I gave a training to a number of uh, of, of department heads, um, and you know, dealing with disability and vision impairment, um, total blindness, low vision, etc. And I shared a little bit about myself um, and the situations and what my needs are and some of the hints and and tips that both Lindsay and Annette themselves have shared, um, which was, you know, identify yourself, you know, by name, you know, let me know when, you know, when you're going to leave and such. After that training, and it was a wonderful training, um, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of good question and answer. And um, after that training, one of my coworkers in another department, you know, um, she and I went and, and had lunch. And one of the things that, you know, she shared with me was that she was very pleased um, to have attended the training that I gave, and she hadn't realized for whatever reason um, how much I really didn't see. Um, Some days we'd pass each other by on campus, and she would wave to me and smile, and the appearance was that I was completely ignoring her because I didn't see her, and for some reason... It just didn't connect until she heard my training. And um, that was something, you know, that I learned um, about myself and the the environment and the situation Um, because I assumed that, you know, folks who knew me realized that, you know, I had a vision impairment. Um, that, you know, I didn't see as well as they thought I did. 
Um, and so what I began to do within the workplace as I started talking with different people, um, I started to do a lot of what Lindsay shared that she did, talking about, you know, her needs and, and you know, um, the, the vision impairment and such. But I didn't realize that at the very beginning. And I think constantly every day uh, I'm learning, you know, every day is a learning experience. But that made me feel a little uncomfortable at first when I realized that um, because I, I completely was not aware of it. And so that's an interesting experience, Lindsay, that you shared as well. I think we parallel in that sense. Um mm-hmm. Annette, is there anything that you wish to share um, in relation to the work environment and and dealing with vision impairment and blindness in the work environment? I think a lot of what my comments would be, again, would be a global thing where it's not necessarily work-related, but in the past when I worked in offices, a a brick-and-mortar place, uh is is the same as can happen elsewhere where the the coworkers only know me in in some situations may never get to know me for all the many different facets of me um uh, just as the one that's visually impaired the one that's blind the one that sits over there and she's blind I wouldn't know what to say that kind of a thing um you know I'm you know, I've been in the workforce since the very early 70s, so, you know, the, it, it hasn't been a, and actually blind uh, is more recent, you know, without correction. So it, I've learned my way, um, and I'm not no longer in that situation. I'm self-employed right now. Uh, I, But when I... And then other, like I said, it bleeds over to other scenarios like social um, situations uh, would be some of what would be the same where if you're repeatedly seeing someone as you would in a work environment that the coworkers or the other people would never get to know you at all because they just know you as the one, oh, we have to say our name or we don't talk or, or whatever, you know, so they never get past that part. Okay. Um, I think, I guess, and, and, you know, you're speaking from a bit of a global perspective. Um, It's very interesting um, in hearing the differences in, you know, what what we all share. Um, I think, and I'm not sure, you know, Lindsay, what your experience um, has been, um, I have found, I guess it's dependent on the individual person that, you know, that you're dealing with, um, where at times, um, you know, people will approach you and, you know, start speaking to you and you may not disclose, you know, the specifics in your vision impairment, um, other times, depending on the situation, you do. I think it's completely situational. 
And in all honesty, I think that it is um, a comfort level issue as well. There are definitely some situations where I don't disclose right away. Um, and I will just initiate a conversation, you know, with someone within the work environment. Uh, currently, I am um, also self-employed, and I do training uh, trainings on on a contract basis. Um, you know, my my full time is of course my volunteer work um, at this point, but I do supplement with doing some contract work. And um, it's very interesting because um, in training, when, you know, when I give trainings, I will share with people, um, you know, some of the tips and tricks and, and uh, um, strategies, as folks say, and it's interesting um, because folks will definitely ask a number of questions and then after the training, you know, they will share um, having been in situations, you know, with a person with a vision impairment or who is blind or, you know, even realizing that, um, you know, if someone asks for assistance, um, they don't have to guess. You know, they can ask, you know, what would you need specifically? And um, I think it's all situational. Lindsay, I don't know if there's anything else that you wish to share related to the workplace environment or if we should go on to the next scenario. I don't think I have anything really at this point to, to share further on the work environment. On the work environment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then um the uh the next um scenario or the next environment um that I would like to have um either of you share, whoever wishes to start first, would be in the environment of travel. <laughs> we we've all experienced um different things. Uh, when we are in the midst of traveling, whether it be uh, transportation, walking from point A to point B, uh, there are so many facets to the the travel environment. And, um, you know, so um, maybe, Annette, you can uh, share first, if you wish, um, some situations okay. related to travel. Okay, some of them can end up being funny. <laughs> Um, not always funny to begin with, but um, I have a default to make it funny because that kind of, you know, just laugh at the situation so that, you know, you don't want to live your life mad at things <laughs> and people. So yeah. sometimes I just have to laugh at, at the situation. It's and true. <laughs> so that's, that's one of our, our, our tips, I guess, is to not get too bogged down with, with what happened. But, you know, I I understand that sometimes it could be devastating when things happen. So a couple of things that happen uh, are both on the fixed route bus or a uh, a paratransit, 
And then, of course, there's people that pick you up. So for the fixed route bus, uh, I have, and this was when I was still going through the rehab school for the blind. Uh, I was an adult when I went through that in Denver, Colorado, and still going through school and have my white cane. The the fixed route bus comes, and I get up on the bus, and I do what I thought was correct. Uh, Can you tell me if there's a seat empty on my left or on my right? And I make sure I'm facing the right way, and they say, well, you could see. (laughs) So the driver would several times would tell me, well, you could see. Uh, I guess I appeared sighted, whatever that looks like. Um, uh, Another scenario would be uh, either on a fixed route or a paratransit if I'm getting no response from the driver as if he's not sitting in the seat uh, then I would just find my own way using the skills that I have and it's very easy to sit on someone's lap or nearly until you finally get a voice out of somebody then you have something to go by <laughs> you can navigate if you if you hear a person say oh then you know you can go on further yes so, <laughs> um and then I will tease with them if I, I'm positive their driver must be in his seat because he just pulled up and I'm getting no uh, voice response. I'll, I'll tell them, excuse me, I, I can't see if you're nodding your head. I'll need your voice. Then I'll say, well, making sure the others can hear me. Well, I guess there's no driver. Maybe I'll drive for the rest of the route. You know, just make fun of it. <laughs> so there can be those situations. Um, getting into uh, a friend's car who may pick me up uh, either at my home or uh, from wherever I have just finished being, whether at work or a social situation, not knowing if it's their car. Uh, uh, it's it's easy to – so I, I instruct them and they may forget a lot. I'll, I'll ask them, can you have your window open and just – let me know that it's you that pulled up, you know, so I don't get into a stranger's car. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't always happen. So there's an awkwardness a lot until somebody gets to know me and, and knows that I need to not get into somebody else's car. <laughs> Please let me know it's you. And if I'm not sure, I just stand outside and I'll say, Susan, Susan, until I get some kind of response. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's yes. Um, I think that the that you know those are definitely good um, good hints, um, especially you know um, sharing with your friends. You know, call out when you see me, or you know, let me know that it's you. Um, I I know I had a situation you know such as that as well, and uh, and I think we all can can speak to those situations. When you were on the bus and you were dealing with um, or experiencing the driver, you know, who basically said, oh, you can see, you can see, um, how did that make you feel and what did you decide to do to continue forward from that situation? I, I think in some situations they think it's a compliment and even other than bus drivers, uh, I have I have friends that will 
say, well, I forget you're blind, and that's that's good. They know me as me then, you know, and not just for my blindness. With the driver, um, uh, how did I feel? I felt like I was the target of something that is what that driver should have known better than to do. I, that's, a, that's an awkward sentence, but he should have been trained enough not to make those kinds of remarks, so it, it seemed inappropriate. And uh, and it wasn't a compliment to me. It felt like it wasn't a compliment, and um, as if I as if he thought I was faking it, and uh, it, it wasn't appreciated. But I I used humor to try to get by it. But it's an uncomfortable feeling when that's done, because I don't get what I need. I just need to know where there's an empty seat. That's it and then get past it, and I didn't achieve that, so it was very uncomfortable. And it, it, it sounds as if, again, looking at it from, you know, how you're sharing it with us, um, the impression that I, you know, that I get was the driver wasn't listening to you. The driver was singling you out, um, as was expressed in an earlier situation you know, by Lindsay. So it it truly was extremely awkward and uncomfortable. Um, you know, it it reminds me of a situation um, that I was in that was travel related, and I was at the airport, and I was using my white cane, and I was in between flights, and I wanted to go and get something to eat. And so I found a food court, and I went up to the counter, um, you know, again, having my white cane right out there in front of me, and um, I asked the person to, you know, um, you know, please share with me or read to me, you know, read the menu to me. And, you know, she said, oh, it's right up there. And at that point... Uh, I thought it was just she and I, um, and, you know, so I shared with her, I said, you know, I'm I'm blind, and um, I'm not able to read the menu. Uh, can you read the menu to me? And she said, well, it's right there. And so I said, well, you know, I can't see. And I kind of tapped my cane, you know, on the floor thinking, okay, you know, she's not seeing it. She's not understanding. You know, maybe if I tap my cane, you know, on the floor, you know, gently, she'll realize, oh, she can't see. And so, you know, when she didn't understand, and again, I guess, you know, whether this was a, a positive thing or not, going back to Annette's use of humor, um, I was quite uncomfortable in the situation but, um, you know, because I was hungry and I needed to eat before I caught my plane. And so, you know, I I asked one more time and she was going to reach to go get me a piece of paper. I guess it was a paper menu. And before she turned away, the counter was very long. So I picked up my cane and I laid it across the counter and I said, I'm blind, and that's why I use my cane, because I cannot see. And apparently there were two other people behind the counter watching this whole 
situation and hadn't said anything. And then there were a few chuckles from behind the counter, and I realized, oh, it's not just us. And she said, oh, I am so sorry. And and I said, you know, will you please read me the menu so that I can order? And she said, yes, yes. She said, I I didn't I didn't notice your cane. And so it's interesting because sometimes people don't even hear what we're saying. They're so focused on what they need to do that they're not hearing or seeing those things that we think that they should be hearing or seeing. So, you know, that can be a difficult situation. Um, Lindsay, uh, do you have anything you wish to share with us in relation to travel? I do a little bit. I, in in relation to, to what you were just saying is that a lot of people are are very well intended. It doesn't sound like she was intentionally trying to to prevent the, the poor blind person from being able to order food. She just was wrapped up in things. And um, most of what I've encountered in travels has been that good-natured person who notices that I am blind and really, really wants to be helpful. They just, they have their... They want their, they've got their Good Samaritan badge on that day, and they want to help the, the blind person, but don't really know much about blind people or how to help or what's appropriate. And so I've encountered um, many times riding buses or the light rail in San Diego, people who will um, come over and, without even saying anything, just grab my arm and start pulling me towards the your bus that's pulled up, and and I kind of have to stop them and say, excuse me, I appreciate that you want to help, but I can see the trolley and I can get there myself. And depending on how I'm feeling that day, I may or may not be quite as polite. But um, I can think of another example where uh, I was riding the the, uh, the trolley, the light rail in San Diego, and um, I was standing there and I had my guide dog with me and. Um, I got cold, so I was going to put my jacket on, and someone reached over and was trying to help me adjust myself, and I got very irritated at that because I don't really want to be touched by strangers, uh, especially not riding public transportation where I'm already a little wary and uncomfortable with my surroundings. And um, so in those situations, I definitely have to kind of stop myself and explain I appreciate that you're wanting to help, but I do not need help doing this. I'm fully capable of putting on my jacket. Uh, I've been dressing myself on my own for many years, and I can I can continue to do it now. Um, I think situations that are currently a little bit more challenging for me. Like I had a situation last year where I'd gone to a baseball game downtown with a friend, and we were walking back to the parking, and there was many, many, many people leaving the game, and my dog was doing her job and guiding me and doing great, and she kind of paused on some stairs because there was a lot of people on it, and this man at the top of the stairs started whistling and coaxing her and wanted to help, thought that she was stuck or something, but it was, it was very difficult, irritating to me that he would be, he wasn't talking to me and saying, oh, I can go up the stairs now. He was coaxing my dog, which... Um, could have been a major safety hazard uh, for me. And so I was not very polite with 
Batman and informed him that my dog is doing her job. Please leave her alone. It is it is dangerous for me for you to be talking to her and distracting her. Um, but that's mostly been my experience is the, the person who wants to be helpful but is definitely not being helpful. I, I think um, that absolutely um, covers it um, in a very good way. Um, in my situation, the the person was extremely focused on what they were doing. And then, you know, um, once the realization came, because I realized I need to get my food, I don't know what else I can say because I don't want to miss my plane because then I won't eat. And and so it it kind of forces the situation to be, you know, escalated to another level. And once she realized it was the same thing, then they want to be helpful. They don't realize, you know, most of the time folks just don't, they don't get it. They don't realize, um, you know, and, and most people mean well, but sometimes they could be putting us in a dangerous situation um, by doing things that, you know, they really don't know. Um, I think that, you know, we all have, it, it seems like, um, in a sense, it seems like the three of us have spoken a bit in our situations this evening about dealing with some of these uncomfortable situations um, and trying to bring some humor to them um, or, you know, facing them directly or moving away from them immediately if, you know, if they are, um, you know, extremely uncomfortable situations that we just don't want to deal with in the moment. So I think that we have talked about a number of different ways um, dealing with the environment and dealing with some of these uncomfortable situations. And Donna? Yes, Annette, go ahead. Um, um, I have another one. I have another tip or trick that I use to kind of head off an uncomfortable situation, and it has to do with safety and with travel. And what that is, it has to do with bus stops. Uh, I have had to commute back and forth to work in Center City, Denver, I've had to commute uh, locally. I'm in Central California right now, and I've been in all kinds of neighborhoods where the buses are. Some I'm comfortable, some are, uh, I'm told, very scary situations at the time. I wouldn't know until somebody told me that is a bad area of town. But what I do when I first, there are two scenarios. One would be if I first come to a bus stop and the other is, if I know I'm alone and then others come, I face uh, the people behind me. So one scenario, it was uh, in Denver, in the middle of town, I had to transfer from one bus to another. And I would hear people walking on the street behind me on the sidewalk, going back and forth. And I could tell, you, you know, you can tell footsteps if it's more than one person and I would turn my body slightly towards, if they're coming from my right to my left behind me, I would always face them slightly so that now I am not a target as I would have been before. 
Same thing when I come to a bus stop and I could tell that there are people there. I speak. I say, hi, how you doing? It completely disarms them uh, and makes me not a target, a potential target from anything anymore. And I, so I will turn from the left to the right, wherever the people are, where I can sense them, I would tar- turn towards them and, and uh, if they're not just walking behind me, if they're at the bus stop, I would speak. I would always, and I do that in a lot of situations. I'm the first one to speak, so I can kind of gauge uh, my surroundings. And it disarms someone that is like, hmm, I wonder what this. And it makes the uncomfortableness go away. It, it also, it's 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 many fold. They could also see me as a regular person rather than just someone that's blind. Um, one of the scenarios I was at that Denver bus stop and there were uh, a couple of people, maybe three, walking and when they got close to me, I could hear by the way they were talking to each other that there were probably young adults, maybe older teenagers, and one was smart alecky and he would get right up to me and he would take his arm, his his uh, flat hand and his arm, and quickly wave it up and down in front of my face and then walk on, you know, like a coward. And and then I'd think later, oh my goodness, that's horrible. And what if I just turned the other way and put my cane out? It would have tripped that smart aleck. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to do that because then I'd have to deal with a fight or whatever, and I'd have, you know, there was nobody else around to protect me. I was the only one at that bus stop. So I looked very much like a target. Well, but we get tempted, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Thank well, Donna, you. Donna, would um, you be able to take some questions from a lot of our callers? Absolutely. And, and you know, what I would encourage people to do, you know, is is – you know, just put the question out there, and I think we're all open to to sharing our experiences and our our answers. So yes, please, please ask away. <laughs> okay, great. So um, all of you out there, if you would unmute your phone, if you have a call uh, that you'd like to ask a question for Donna or Annette or Lindsay, just press star six and go ahead and uh, ask your question. Announce who you'd like to answer that question. This is Ken Stewart. Ken, hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm glad to get the reactions of all the panel members to a couple of uh, observations I've made and talk about this in our low vision book that's going to be coming out. The first point is that a lot of research has shown that the general public finds blindness the scariest possible disability if they had a disability, and I think that often affects how they deal with us, like like it must be a tragedy or you must be so helpless a lot more helpful than we really are, like a couple of uh, Lindsay's examples. Second point, as I was reminded by uh, Annette getting on the bus and the silent bus driver, mm-hmm. my advice is always avoid asking yes or no questions because you you may just get a nod yes or a nod no. That doesn't that's not very helpful if you don't see which way they're moving their heads. So the way you phrase a question is is also important. And then the third observation that I wonder if you all agree with me, and that is that. Uh, as a partially sighted person or a person with low vision, we are doing some things that the general public thinks sighted people do, so it's hard for them to believe that we are, quote, blind, unquote. 
And my advice is, and I wonder if the panel agrees with me, is tend to try to avoid that particular phrase because it's misunderstood by a lot of people and say something like, like Donna's example, trying to get help on the menu. You say, I'm not seeing very well today or I have very bad eyesight because they, some of them have already been watching you as you're approaching the, the uh, you know, the service counter and so forth. And there's some clues that, that indicate that person can see, you know, she's not blind. As I say, the general public has a simplistic notion about I am blind means I am totally blind. And, of course, that's not what we mean at all. So I'm curious if the panel has any uh, reactions to any of that. Uh, Lindsay, would, do you have anything you wish to share on that? I I do with your last point, Ken, about um, about being partially sighted. I, I definitely relate to that. Being a person with low vision who uses a guide dog, I get hundreds of people every year who come up and either ask me, are you training that dog, or tell me what a wonderful person I am for training that guide dog. And that makes a whole other uncomfortable situation of itself, having to decide, do I tell them that I'm not training her and she's my guide dog, or do I just smile and say thank you? Um, but I'm helping who? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely agree. You know, I um, use a guide dog, but I also use a cell phone, and I text, and I do email on my phone and everything by looking at it. I don't have, I don't use, um, uh, you know, any sort of screen reader on my phone, and so um, I've had people ask me, and I've had people, uh, my husband's friends, email him and be like, "Why your wife is blind? How can she use a phone?" And so um, I think it really can be difficult. One thing that I try to do if I'm especially, you know, introducing things to someone new or trying to get help in a situation is instead of saying I'm blind, I will say visually impaired because, you know, it's a, a common phrase in our in our um, community, but in the you know general general community, it's not as much heard. People hear blind all the time, but they don't as often hear visually impaired. So I I tend to find um, decent results um, use, uh, using that phrase instead. Mm-hmm. Annette, is there anything you'd wish to share? Um, not not really on that. I I uh, agree. You know, I do the same thing, uh, and I've had a lot of the same things happen to me that um, I may be mistaken for someone that can see. And it, and it's situational. It depends on the situation. Most of the time, sometimes it's somebody that's just walking by, and there's, there's no need to go into a story. But um, uh, I personally usually say, that I'm either blind or visually impaired, and I, I do the same thing that visually impaired or low vision or one of those types of terms people will understand or can't see good today. You know, again, it d- depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. And and I agree as well. And I think I think the thing that we're all saying is that it's definitely situational. Um, in my situation with the menu. I used all the terms, thinking that maybe they didn't mm-hmm. understand. Um, you know, as Lindsay said, you know, some people are more prone to understand one phrase over another. So um, I I agree as well. Does anyone else have any other questions or anything they wish to share? Well, Hanley and Todd does, as Dr. Crowell knows. Great. Okay. Let's okay. hear from you. Um, I, I'm very bad with names. I think it's Donna. Yes. Okay. 
um, I used to be able to see, I used to be able to drive, and I'm on a downward slope. I also have a severe hearing problem. So I've been in the sighted world. I've been I've been in the sighted world. I've been in the uh, in, in the blind world because I can walk down the street one day and oh gee I can actually see down to the end of the sidewalk and then walk down the street and I don't know a cloud comes over and whammo I'm totally blind. Yeah. I have a guide dog. That's why Hanley he's the silent partner. And I think what we now what was said before that. Uh, people are scared to death of blind because blind equals helpless because they're helpless if they're blind. They haven't had any training or had to live with it. And that right there is incomprehensible to them. And uh, if you, what you, what we've been talking about is what makes us uncomfortable. And what makes us uncomfortable is important. And this sounds more like a support group segment. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a, like a couple of things I want to say. I put them out there. I would like to talk to you either afterwards and then set up a time when we could talk at a greater length because there's a lot of little things I want to cover. But um, that aside, for right now, they're scared. They don't know how to react. They're not yeah. going to listen. They think they know better because they can see, and it can create a safety issue. It can create, like with the bus driver issue, and uh, we're not talking about, in this segment, what do we do, or, you know, we're talking about what, what do we personally do. I do one little trick when someone comes up, you know, may I help you? I go, oh, yes, I need help. Are you a trained psychiatrist? No. Hmm. Yes. That's, that's, humor. <laughs> right. That's humor, but it's a double-edged thing, because if they laugh, Okay, now I'm dealing with somebody who, does, who can think outside the box a little yes. bit. But they don't laugh. Oh, no, no, no. I meant help you find something. Uh-huh. Yes. Then I know i got to be within what they consider a blind person will behave like. Mm-hmm. Yes. And now I know what I'm dealing with. However, there are times when you don't want anyone to bother you at all because they're going to interfere with the dog or this and that and yes. so on. And then if, if you look at other disabilities, like, say, mobility impairment, what makes things accessible for them is contained within the environment, the curb cuts, the 38-inch width, the, the elevators and so on. Yes. Blind people, meaning sight-impaired and blind, have nothing in the environment to... Uh, assist them. With the, with the mobility impaired, they only need four things. They need flat level, they need a lift for sharp elevation, they need 38 inches, they need nothing above four and a half feet. And that's at the core what they need. The one thing that blind and sight impaired people need, just one thing, information. Yes. And there is nothing done for sensory impairments in order to allow them to function in the society. And this creates something very interesting. If anybody here has a GPS system, you follow the information, get to the corner, turn left. This is how sighted people travel. They go to the corner, they read the sign, the arrow points left, they go left. Very simple. But blind people do not do this unless they have a GPS. Mm -hmm. Blind people have to learn the route and memorize it in order to do it. This is discriminatory and that makes us less equal. 
And I think that should be covered in a future segment. Todd, that's, that, go ahead. Todd, this is Annette. That's, that, those are really good points. And yeah. I wanted to invite you to come back to the uh, rest of them. I'm seeing where some of these can come up both in May and September. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can look at the topics through December by going to cclvi.org mm-hmm. and clicking uh, Let's Talk Low Vision. And it has some write-ups. But I, I wanted to, um, uh, on that about other people being uncomfortable and how we may be more able in some situations than the others, just to give you like a, on the comedy note, sort not comedy, but, um, but to kind of illustrate part of what you were saying. Right. Um, I was talking about my uh, family hadn't seen me for years and didn't see me as a blind adult. So they first connected wait, wait, with me I again. Gotta, i got to stop you. The wording you just used makes me feel bad. You are a person who happens to be blind. You are not a blind adult. Now, are you putting the disability before the person? Wording. I see what you're saying. Person, yeah, I'm sorry if that made you feel uncomfortable. No, but I mean, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about how they were viewing me. Uh, so in my situation, I'm sharing for, for the group um, uh, a situation where my family hadn't seen me for many years. And then in the 1990s, about mid-1990s, they met me again, and uh, about five of my family members. And when they were leaving, uh, they rented a minivan to go back to the airport. And I walked them out. And it, they couldn't put down the back seat. They and I, they were struggling. Three of them took turns, and I'm staying there for a long time, knowing, as a person who is blind, that I can identify and locate things much quicker with my hands than uh, a sighted person could with with their eyes in a lot of cases. So I held back for a while, thinking. Well, I don't want to be a show-off, and I don't want to be prideful, and what if I don't find it? I've never seen that vehicle. It's just, you know, but I thought, well, they're they're in certain locations. That's it. I, I finally said, excuse me, because they couldn't get home. They couldn't get back to the airport unless they could put their seat down. So I finally excused myself and said, can I please get in front? And boom, I I had it. So that's an illustration where, you know, it, it you didn't have to say anything. It just showed that. Well, that's a, that's a great story. And, yes. uh, you know, at this time, uh, unfortunately, we're out of time for the show this evening. But if some of you do want to stay on the line and you do want to speak with uh, Donna, Lindsay, or Annette, um, maybe they'll be able to stay on. But, again, I just want to thank all of you for attending this evening. I want to thank Donna, Annette, and Lindsay for just an excellent, excellent topic. And i also like to thank Mr. Dick Burden for recording this. So this recording, if you want to share it with others, please remind others to go to the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. Or they may also find this at the Airs LA website at www.airsla. So thank you very much, and we hope to see you next month when we talk about what's new in technology. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs>